Welcome to the Skeptic Wire. the 23rd of May, 2012, and this is episode 59 of The Skeptic Wire, in case you missed that lovely intro music, and welcome to The Skeptic Wire portion that happened before I said this. Well, this gives it that human touch. <laughs> okay, you're not supposed to literally touch the microphone. Oh, I tried to reach no, out and touch our listeners. No, you're supposed to <laughs> caress it gently. Oh. Wow, this is getting disturbing quickly. <laughs> Skeptical birthdays! Actually, before we do that... We, Do you want to tell the listeners who the hell we are? How how are you guys? I'm Gary! <laughs> <laughs> sure you don't want to start again there? Uh, maybe we should have that scratch. Okay. <laughs> we are professionals. Professionals. <laughs> it tells the people who it is. Uh, I or it gets the hose again. I'm Gary Long, host, <laughs> and with me, as always, are Greg Perrine, <laughs> as he reached out and touched you, and Donna Swafford, as she caresses her, as she caresses you, and Gently. I think you're in the left ear this week, <laughs> ish. All right. Um, <laughs> how Why would was... I be left-ish? Why wouldn't I just be either left or right? Well, because I don't. I'm not. I'm not panning you guys full left and right. I'm, you're just slightly off center. So we have like this stereo spectrum. Gary, I think we're all slightly off center. Yes. Oh, well, off kilter. I got next time. I'm going to put everybody in the right hand side just to piss everybody off that listens to it in, in stereo. And so that way, if they're running. And listening to us on headphones, they'll just run around in circles. Probably left counterclockwise circles, trying to get away from the voices. <laughs> so, Greg, okay, so- <laughs> well, I entirely do much about that. So, where is that scotch? <laughs> Forget scotch, he's been doing LSD, apparently. <laughs> we escaped the voice, it escapes the voices in his head. I don't know what I'm doing. Okay. <laughs> Do we have any skeptical birthdays today? No, not at all. Yay! Uh, yes, we do. Yeah. Well, uh, go ahead. <laughs> I, I have I have one that I want to shout out, but go ahead. Google already did. Yeah, I, I knew you would. Yeah, yeah. Bob Moog. Yes. Uh, well, he was born, but he's dead now. Unfortunately. Yeah. But there, the Google Doodle. You could play the Google Doodle. You could doodle the Google Doodle. You could doodle on the Doodle. Only you in, could doodle Google. Only in the privacy of your own bedroom, though. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, so what we have, skeptically speaking... Well, also skeptical... Oh, by the way, uh, for those of you who don't know, Moog, he made the Moog synthesizer, which is the first synthesizer that you could travel around with. Yes. So he made a guitar, is what you're saying? No, he did not make the guitar. That was by someone who hated music. <laughs> <laughs> he did also have a company that made theremins. Yes. Yes, he did. Or theremins, depending on where you're from. Blasphemer. Yeah. Neanderthal, Neanderthal, whatever. Speaking of blasphemy, uh, do you know who Abdul-Baha was? 
Uh, he was a basketball player, wasn't he? No. Did he play for the Lakers? No, 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 no. And uh, he was not an airplane. <laughs> um, um, was was he part of uh, one of the people from Alibaba and the 40 Thieves? No. Yeah, that's right. I got it, I got and it. it had nothing to do with Paula Abdul. I got it, I got it. He was the Prophet Muhammad's second less cousin, kind of unknown, but he's the guy that was always making the funny faces behind him. Which is why you're not allowed to draw Muhammad. Because no, you have to include the funny faces. And they kind of get a little offended by that. I Yeah, I don't know where you pulled that one from, but no. Um, so he's Muhammad's lesser known uh, son from his eight, 80th wife. Doris. No. Okay. Doris. Stop. Doris. Just, stop. Just stop. Just, just fucking stop. Okay. Abdu'l-Baha was born this day, May 23rd, in 1844. He was the eldest son of Baha Ulala. Eldest, we said lesser. We said yes. So you were close. And he was born in the Middle East. Uh, but his, Really? His father was the one who really kind of, who was the founder of the Baha'i faith. Baha'i what? Baha'i the Whipper. And the Baha'i faith is a minority faith in the Middle East. They preach kind of God is all one, all gods are one, and all humanity is one. They're pro-science, but they're anti-homosexual. So they've got some good to them, but they're also a religion like anybody else. And, um, yeah, he he was born today. I'm just going to let's keep going. Okay. Yeah, we kind of covered all the other stuff. Yeah. Interesting. We obviously so, covered so the it's, most it's a, it's a minority people. religion in the Middle East, then, uh, which makes it quite dangerous for them, considering yes. that it's basically Muslim and Shiites and Sunnis, and everybody else is sort of on tender hooks. Yes, most of his biography consists of um, they Came went to this away. town, and then they got kicked out, <laughs> and then they went to this town, and they got kicked out. Kind of like Joseph Smith and the whole Mormon thing, yeah. where just nobody wanted you know his family around, and once... You know, they really got the religion going. Um, the father was passed away, and in his will, he said that his son, Abdu'l-Baha, was going to be the one who was going to head the religion. Hmm. The rest of the family hated that, but the rest of the religion accepted him. And he made some changes, like, you know, more um, monogamy as opposed to uh, polygamy and stuff Meat like that. Meat pies on Thursday. I have no idea about that. But, <laughs> you know, Baha'i is, is still... Middle Eastern in origin, and that kind of grew out, out out of Islam. So it has still some of the same tenets of things like no alcohol, and like I said, still anti-homosexual. But it seems a lot more liberal, a lot more, hey, let's, you know, no discrimination <laughs> because of religions, because we're all one. Unless you're gay. Unless you're gay, yeah. <laughs> all right. So to them we yeah. say, Baha'i, Baha'i. It's going to be that kind of evening, isn't it? Yep, it is. <sighs> well, Speaking I, about bye-bye. Yeah, I just kind of spaced out on that one. Yeah. And, ooh, nice. So I wanted to give a uh, you know, shout-out to, because uh, sure, I'm sure they listen to the podcast, everybody in the hey, SpaceX. You! That kind of shout-out? <laughs> yes. And in, in everybody in the SpaceX family listens to The Skeptic Wire. The Skeptic Wire. We should get them to sponsor us. We should. (laughs) Right next to adamandeve.com. Yeah. Ooh, and then we could go up in one of the the human launch vehicles. 
Uh, yeah, so they finally got a, uh, well, they've been launching stuff uh, commercially for uh, a little bit, but this is going to be the first commercial launch vehicle that is going to dock with the International Space Station, mm-hmm. if all goes well. And it should happen, I believe, on Thursday. So I know that they launched, and then they were going to do some maneuvers to prove yes. that they could maneuver in space. Yes. And then the big robot arm from the space station is going to grab the capsule and made it with the space station. Yes, yeah, so they're going to get close. And That's then... where the AdamandEve.com kicks in. <laughs> you put a nice, nice space condom on it. <clears throat> for the docking station. Don't want it to catch something. So uh, I, I wish them well with the, with the maneuvering and the docking, and I'm very excited about that because that's just really, really cool. Yeah, it, it, as, as much as it sucks that we don't have the space shuttle, at least in this relatively short amount of time, we're having some sort of possible manned space missions coming up. Yeah, through because commercial means. the the dragon that they sent up, sorry, the dragon is the name of the spaceship. It isn't actually a dragon. Uh, I believe is supposed to uh, be able to carry uh, humans. It's either that or the Falcon. I think it's the dragon. I can't remember to be it's, honest. It's it's powerful enough. It yeah, will be I, I think enough. the the rocket is meant for both stuff, cargo stuff, delivery, stuff and, and stupid people delivery. <laughs> but maybe they have slightly different configured capsules, something like that. Right. But I can't remember the names. Yeah. So very exciting. Yay. Yay! Space science. So earlier this week, I uh, went into work, and standing in the lobby were a couple people in military uniforms, dress uniforms. <laughs> military uh, dress. Yes. Occasionally, not dresses, but military but uniforms. But they're, they're good uniforms? Or yes. like Or like they're... Uh... They're dress uniforms, okay. not yeah. just everyday fatigues. Right. Dress mess. And um, occasionally, the company I work for, we have military visitors, but not so many in dress uniforms. So I thought that was kind of odd. And I went about my day. Walking out of the building later that day, I saw that a little table had been set up in the lobby. With There was a, a POW MIA flag, missing in action, prisoner of war flag. Um, and then the, on this little table were the, were the dress hats of the five branches of the military. And they had a candle and a plate with a... I don't know why, but it had a, essentially a slice of lemon on it. I don't know if it was artificial or not, but... And they then, had a plate with a slice of lemon on it? Yeah. <clears throat> Could no. have been their lunch. Well, no, it was very... <laughs> it was placed. Very placed, okay. yes. And it had a couple, uh, um, like I said, a, ca- a candle, a couple glasses, um, and all the hats are there. And it was obviously a a ceremonial thing, kind of a Memorial Day kind of presentation. Right. Okay. But... Smack dab in the middle of this table was, guess what? Uh, Jesus on the cross. Donna was right. She wins queen of the podcast this week. What? A holy Bible. Of course there was. Yes. So (laughs) I go home that day. It's Monday or Tuesday. And this bothers the shit out of me. (laughs) I'm like, what am I going to do tomorrow? Am I going to just take it and put a note there saying... You know, this does not represent the military of the United States. The United States is not a Christian organization. Here's my number. Call me when you want your Bible back, but it should not go back on this table. Oh. I wanted to do that. I was that ah. that one I wanted to do that just kind of angry lashing out thing. Yeah. But what I did do 
after losing sleep over this, because it really kind of pissed me <laughs> off, is I asked my boss if she knew who was responsible for the display, who had basically been the contact for our company to have the military come in and do this ceremonial thing. Mm-hmm. And I got in contact with that person and went to their desk and said, listen, uh, there's a problem with the display out front, and I think we need to fix it. Um, the the Bible should be taken off. And like I said to you guys a second ago, the you know, United States is not a Christian organization. I'm a strong believer in church and state separation. I think that this you know, is is a horrible message to send for all the Jewish, Muslim, atheist, Baha'i, <laughs> Wiccan, a, you know, all these other people who are within the military. It's a horrible thing to have on there, and I think we should take it off. Hmm. And the person agreed with me. Huh. She said, well, yeah, I'm, I'm Buddhist, and I don't disagree with you. It's just the ceremony that they do. No, it's not. It's actually not part <clears throat> of the ceremony whatsoever. It's well, not. no, it's some ceremony that those two guys do. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but the actual POW ceremony does not have a Bible in it. No. Did it have a slice of lemon in it? Yes, because it symbolizes the bitter fate of all the POWs because we have not found them. See? It made perfect sense. And, yes, someone decided that the the Bible should be a part of that ceremony. And the the great part is is this person agreed with me and said you know what you're right um i'll i'll go i'll go take it off i had offered to go get it for her she was going on break she was going to get it anyway huh. happy ending yeah now it's a bad news situation because some dickhead decided to put their religion into the military in this in this situation but the bible was taken away and um, later that day, my boss said, you know, asked me to come see her and just say, just wanted to make sure everything's okay. And I explained the situation that personally, church-state separation is a very important thing to me. And, you know, it was resolved well, and we talked and we chatted about other stuff. And this, uh, you know, every time you hear about something like Damon Fowler or Jessica Alquist, where there's these big fights over <laughs> prayers before um, a council meeting or something like that, and there's lawsuits or whatever. There's plenty of situations like this where someone says something, someone says, you know what, you're right, and it, something does get changed, and that has made my week. Yeah. Now, the other, the other benefit that you had is you're a private company. Yes. Or, or I mean, you may be publicly owned or whatever. I don't know, but it's... A, it's on private property. So mm-hmm. that's also different than, say, a public school because they can't really say you have offered yeah. to bring them in and, and the whole thing. So it's really cool that you, everyone agreed. Right. Yeah. I was able to talk to people, really express cool. my concerns, and I was listened to. As, and you did it in a non-confrontational, yeah. non-angry, I, atheist way. I, 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 <laughs> like I said, I was pissed off about it. I was having arguments in my head uh-huh. ahead of time. Right. About how I was going to tell someone that they're a fucking idiot. Right. Without telling them that they're a fucking yes. idiot. And and that's why I lost sleep and <laughs> why and why it was a passionate subject to me. Yeah. Which is partly why the boss wanted to make sure that everything was okay. Yeah. Um it, but happy ending. Awesome. So yeah. there is hope people out there. <laughs> <laughs> Not everything is gonna lead to a horrible argument on Facebook or something like that. This is true. How was your I week, just, Donna? I just had an encounter with an anti-vaxxer 
at work. It's, you know, so much fun because she's upset with me because I don't want to bring my child who cannot get the pertussis vaccine around her child who could, but she chooses yeah. not to. And apparently that makes me the mean person. <laughs> well, that's, that's the quote. She wants to expose your daughter to a potentially deadly Disease. infection. Infection, right. And Pertussis. you're the mean one. I'm the mean one. Okay. Sarcasm I, I accomplished. Like that, I like that cognitive dissonance 101. <laughs> well, she doesn't, I mean, it's no problem for her child. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so why should it be a problem for your child? Oh, that's right. You know about stuff. She sent me this nice note where she's all like, you know, here's where I do my research. And it's, <laughs> of all things, it's a Facebook page called the Proud Parents Who Choose Not to Vax. Oh, oh my God. Den of woos. Yeah. Uh, my friend posted a graph. Uh, From I, them. I, I'm going to I need to do some research, but we may talk about this next week. Uh, the, yeah. I, I was like, you got it. I got it. The National the- Office of Statistics. Right, I can't There is actually, no National Office of Statistics in the United States. There's a part of me that wants to like it so I can comment and then unlike it. Yeah. So it, it's but kind I of don't weird. want my science friends to see me having liked the parents who... I, that's, that's the same thing, same problem I had, yeah. But we, we do have a little bit of good news. We have good news? Yeah. Besides no, the, that's not possible for Besides us. my Memorial Day win? Besides your Memorial Day win? Which is really good news. That's really cool. That's all the kudos you're getting from us now. All right. <laughs> it's okay. It's don't okay. touch me. Do you like pomegranates? I don't dislike pomegranates. So have you ever had a pomegranate? Yes. Have you ever had palm? And we're not talking pommies, which are completely different. German French fries. <laughs> are you talking about palm, like yeah, my five-fingered girlfriend? <laughs> No, P-O-M, no, um, as in short for drink. pomegranate. Oh, okay. It's a drink that um, actually holds one. up one bit of distinction is that it was the main sponsor in um, Morgan Spurlock's Buy This Movie. It was actually the main sponsor of... Yeah. The, the all um, product placement movie. Yes. Yeah. So they're in trouble? That's hilarious. There's, there's, no, well, or there's, it's, there's an uh, interesting lawsuit that you happened. You promised me a victory. Give me a victory now. It, it, is, it is a victory. Good news. Uh, in 2010, the Federal Trade Commission sued Palm, the company, for, for fraudulent advertisement. Because in some of their advertisements uh, on their boxes and, and products, they were saying that it could cure uh, erectile dysfunction, it would lower cholesterol, it could help cure cancer specifically. Um, uh, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Uh, the finger up the... Rectal cancer? Yeah. Um, uh, prostate what, cancer. Prostate cancer. <laughs> the finger up the butt cancer. <laughs> Which, no, uh, for our listeners, the finger up the butt does not give you cancer. It's no. the test that they give they, they do to for see if you might have that prostate cancer. and the whole thing. Uh, and so but we'll th- talk about primate sexy time later. Absolutely. Coincidentally, also this week, uh, someone came out with the with the going against the prostate exam or the blood test. It was a blood test, it was not a blood the finger test. exam. It was a blood test a blood that blood is, test, yeah. gives a lot of false positives. Yeah, but that's not the good news. So the FTC actually uh, won this lawsuit and told uh, Palm that they have to change 
their, their advertisement, which is kind of cool. Now, the FTC is looking that, at this as a win, but Palm is also looking at this win. And there's a interesting It's problem. a win-win situation. It is, except it's not really a win for the consumer. Because so the FTC won, Palm won, but everybody else loses. Right. And, and the FTC won basically because of the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act of 1994. Okay. But this is how Palm is also going to win. There's a, a Dietary Supplements Claims Clause in the Act. And according to this, under Section 5 of the DSH, EA. Information about a dietary supplement, such as, quote, a publication, including an article, a chapter in a book, or an official abstract of a peer-reviewed scientific publication that appears in an article and was prepared by the author or editors of the publication, which is reprinted in its entirety, shall not be defined as labeling when used in connection with the sale of a dietary supplement, under certain conditions. Okay. Really? Now, such a publication may be used in connection with the sale as long as it is truthful and not misleading, does not promote a particular manufacturer or brand of dietary supplement, presents a balanced view, or is displayed or presented with other such items on the same subject matter so as to present a balanced view of the available scientific information, and does not have appended to it any information by sticker or any other means. Okay, and so the DS you, wait, wait, wait. Okay, the DS the DSHEA also requires that when such third party information is used in an establishment, it may not be displayed next to the supplement product, but must be physically separated from the supplement. Okay, so there's a lot in there, but the but the main point is that you can use peer reviewed research as part of your advertisement as long as the advertisement, or as long as the re- the the, the research, research doesn't specifically state a, a specific manufacturer. Now, Palm apparently has spent about thirty-four million dollars on research into pomegranate uh, and its health benefits and effects and, and stuff like that. And, and they have listed on their site a bunch, actually, all of the stuff that they paid for. Now, I read, uh, I only read one of them. But they specifically mentioned Palm X, <laughs> which is Palm. Yeah. Like- yeah. Uh, so that's that's one of the things. I think that's one th- th- reason why they were dinged. Now, some of the research, it's still up in the air. It's very small. It's a lot of test tube types tests, you know. And in some of the tests, yes, they show uh, that pomegranate juice and some of the extracts, you know, affect cancer cells and and cholesterol and stuff but that's all you know in vivo not or in vitro not in the body they've done clinical studies like eight ounces a day of pomegranate juice uh over uh four month period uh helps in people healing uh, after uh dental surgery with Uh, control Supposedly, these are the things I haven't really looked into. The one characteristic they all have is that most of these studies are small preliminary, yes, correlational studies. That is exactly right. There's only a few people, so you can you may be able to see that there may be some effect, but a lot of the stuff that they're claiming, in fact, uh, were not better than placebo, uh, uh, according to. 
an aggregate site that kind of went through all of the research. Uh, it did show that there seemed to be some benefit with cholesterol and inflammation, which could, you know, prostate or some other, uh, any kind of surgery, if it helps with that, that might be good. So it, it almost any natural product, and I hate using that word natural, but uh, fruits, vegetables, uh, good food. In general, juice is not going to be bad for you. Exactly. Right. But it may not be a superfood like they're claiming. Right. Not like broccoli, for example. <laughs> Which broccoli is, is pretty cool. It's supposed to be a superfood as well. Oh, didn't uh, realize that. I just like it with a little yeah. bit of cheese sauce and... Well, with well, cheese is the, you know, the super villain food. I know it's delicious. I have to balance my 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 super good with the super bad. So, so the FTC uh, ruled that the that Palm Palm Wonderful overstepped its bounds by saying um, that Palm cures erectile dysfunction. As I said before, erectile dysfunction lowers cholesterol, is good for heart health and other things, and that they were misleading. The court said yes, that's true. Okay. However, uh, Palm is saying, oh, well, this is a victory for us because what the court ruling said is that evidence must include clinical trials, but not necessarily double blind, randomized, placebo controlled clinical trials to make claims. Oh. And that so is a huge the burden loss. of proof is a lot weaker now. Very much so. All you have to have is a one clinical trial now to prove some efficacy. And that's why Palm consider that's a victory. And if this sta- if this stands, which I'm pretty sure the Federal Trade Commission is going to is going to uh, actually try and push a little bit to get more defined because they want if you're going to make claims, you've got to have the double you you've got to have the clinical trials. You can't yeah. You know, you can't just double-blind clinical trials. You can't just give Rigorous it to somebody. scientific proof, not yeah. just, well, we think maybe it could be that. Right. And so I, I'm mixed about that. I'm glad that Palm got dinged because now they have to pull back their rhetoric. That's good. But they all they have to do is set up a, a study or so and, you know... If they do a shitload of studies, one of them's going to come out with a positive thing. They can throw the rest of them away and say, well, we have one study. Yep. You know, there's no such thing as false advertising. So instead of cherry picking the study, they're pomegranate picking the study. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Because pomegranate is a superfood. Now, along those lines (laughs) of making claims, there was... Another study, Science Daily, uh, posted about coffee, which I, I posted on, on the, the Facebook coffee, site. Coffee, coffee, the coffee, coffee thing. Coffee. Yes. That said, older adults who drink coffee, caffeinated or decaffeinated, which I'm very happy about because I've cut out caffeine, had a lower risk of death overall than others who did not drink coffee. Now, that amuses me because everyone dies. <laughs> but, Okay. According to researchers at the National Cancer Institute. Now, these people followed 400,000 people from 1995 until December 31st, 2008, or until they died. (laughs) (laughs) 
Still a good 13 years in there. A good 13 years. And they showed that relative to men and women who did not drink coffee, those who consumed three or more cups of coffee per day had approximately a 10% lower risk of death. (laughs) Wow. So that's, that's pretty good. However, and this is the important thing. They say we cannot infer a causal relationship between coffee drinking and lower risk of death. However, we we do provide some reassurance that coffee drinking does not adversely affect health. And that is science. <laughs> <laughs> That's not saying, ah, this is so awesome. It says there's a correlation here. Right. You know, coffee may not cause anything. And plus, this is all self-reporting. So take the grain of salt. Right. So I I guess 10% of the people who drink coffee live longer than those who didn't. I, you know, that's basically what I get. Yeah. (laughs) And that's not really 400,000. So 200,000, 380,000. Okay. Yeah. So I drink coffee, I guess. And brush your teeth afterwards because it's really bad. Well, I'm curious what they consider coffee drinking. Because if you just drink coffee with maybe a little sugar, a dash of milk, compared to the uber venti latte, coffee. one thing they did not do is separate out whether it was, you know, doing the, the black espresso, black coffee. I'm fairly certain that drinking the Starbucks uh, chilled coffee with all the sugar, I don't think that counts. But then I don't think that's real coffee. <laughs> but having all that sugar is probably bad for you. So it would, you know, that's a lot of calories. And when you add stuff, it adds calories. The nice thing about coffee is it takes about three calories to to uh, burn to, it off. To burn it off, and so it's almost a negative. You know, it's like celery, the so so called <laughs> quote negative food, which isn't quite true, but. You know, it's it's kind of a zero-sum game. You drink coffee, you burn coffee off, boom, no worries. But once you add anything to it, you know, then you start bringing in calories. And this the stuff you get, again, that, that chilled coffee is like, if I recall correctly, it's a couple hundred calories. Because right, it's, and it's cream like, and sugar and this. Right. <laughs> and it's about, you know, what, one-eighth of a cup of coffee for, what, 16 ounces? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So now the other good news, and this comes from uh, via Skeptics Dictionary along the same lines, is that the people who make the oscillococcinum uh, are being sued in Canada for $30 million because... Um, is oscillococcinum a brand name, like one company makes it, or do multiple companies make... Well, oscillococcinum is actually, I think that that is a, it's, it's, it's an ingredient. So anybody can make it, but this particular company is selling the homeopathic version of it. Oh, of course. So, because I don't think they call it oscillococcinum on, on the labeling. First of all, it's, we've had an it's, incredibly uh, difficult time pronouncing it. It's hard to pronounce, and once you do pronounce it, it sounds yeah. kind of funny, like yeah. saying you got a cock in somebody. Yes. Oh, <laughs> Oh, I see a cock in them. Okay. The lawsuit in Canada claims that the product is overpriced sugar. The extreme dilutions use it to make it ensure that there is not a single molecule left of its supposed medicinal ingredient. Now, there was litigation in the United States that also concluded 
with a $12 million settlement that um, they were using unfair competition and false advertising. In the United States. In the United States. So I don't remember hearing about that, but yay. <laughs> and in Australia, uh, same thing's happening. They are trying to cut it down because Australia apparently has a pretty bad uh, homeopathic uh, uh, inflammation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's been there's been some positive stories of the skeptical community fighting things like having alternative medicine departments within public colleges and stuff like that. And of yeah. course, the Australian skeptics did really great against the power band kind of thing. Yeah. So there is a good pushback, but that shows how much of a problem there is in Australia. Yeah. But the good thing is that. Um after this is from the conversation.edu.au, um, the, the uh, Bruce Arnold writes: After a succession of reports showed homeopathy to be a pseudoscience, it's likely Australia's National Health and Medical Research Council will advise that it, that it's quote unethical for health practitioners to treat patients using homeopathy for the reason that homeopathy as a medicine or procedure has been shown not to be efficacious. So, yay! Cool. And well, that's also happening in the United Kingdom. Uh, they shut down Prince Charles Homeopathic Institute. And so it's getting off the national health services. And uh, unfortunately, that's going to drive them underground and do all kinds of things because it is a billion-dollar industry around the world. And these people are not going to give that up without a fight. Well, I just actually Googled. And yes, it is Wikipedia, but... For the just for the purposes of what exactly is a silicocinum? It is a preparation. Is it a condom? No, it's no, sorry. actually, it's actually. <laughs> is it a French tickler condom with a clown mask? No, <laughs> it is a preparation derived from duck liver and heart, diluted to two hundred C. Yeah. Okay. So it's a ratio of one part duck offal to one hundred to the two hundredth power. Parts of water. Cool. So it's water. Yeah. (laughs) It's water. Those people who have listened to us and any other skeptical podcasts know that homeopathy is, there's nothing in it. That it's bunkum. It is bunkum. Absolutely. But speaking about cockinum. And bunking. And bunking. Donna, what do you got? I, it, you know, it's becoming a, a, a pretty frequent topic here on on the Skeptic Wire. We are back to some primate sexy time. Yay! Ooh, 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 ooh. Ah. It's primate sexy time. 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 Come out with this. <laughs> um, Yahoo and Fitness Magazine recently surveyed about it, surveyed over a thousand adults to find out what gets them in the mood. Uh-huh. And apparently, it's not very white. Oh, I know. I what about sad. Barry Obama? <laughs> Actually, they didn't address that, but um, basically, they 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 asked about you know what turns you on. How long do you make love? How often do you make love? Have you ever had a a one night stand or a friend with benefits turn into something more? Woo-hoo! Have you ever sexted somebody? All of the shows, and apparently, um, 
there are some interesting results. Are there? Younger men and women are likely to get turned on by sexy text or email. A younger being in their... Uh, yeah, 18 to 34. To 34. Really? 34 is younger? Apparently. Yes, damn it! <laughs> Please. Let now, me hold 20... on to some 30-something youngness. But older adults, nearly half, uh, 50% of men and 40%, 43% of women, have, um, how shall we say, phone sexted up. Just think about that with your parents. That's all I'm saying. No. Well, I think probably the, 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 the idea that young people text or sext more is probably more of a more familiar with the technology yeah, than I mean, not it, willing to. Yeah, back in the 18 and 1700s, they used to write uh, lascivious letters to each other. Yeah. yeah, and it takes a while to create an etching and send that to somebody. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and find, know, find the proper club to hit them on the head with. Going do you way know back. what is the sexiest words to a man? Do me. Do me now. Very close, actually. You're so hot. Whereas a woman, sexiest words if you want to get her into bed, I love you. Oh. I clean the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's just talking. Is that a metaphor for something? <laughs> no. Just like you were talking the other day that you mowed your lawn. Yep. That wasn't a metaphor for no, landscaping no, or anything? No, no euphemisms. Oh. I don't speak in euphemism. If you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh. For couples, 38% say they fantasize about their significant other or spouse, as opposed to, say, a colleague or a friend's spouse. Yet, yeah, I call bullshit on that one. Well, no, 38% fantasize about a celebrity. Uh, I don't know if I could stand most celebrities. It depends, I suppose. You know, I, I think it's more of the the um, what I refer to as the get out of relationship free card. Uh, you know, if that person walked up to the door and you and your girlfriend were standing there, and this girl said, "Excuse me, I have to have him. I have to have him now." <laughs> which ones would be the ones that would be where your girlfriend would have to go? It's her. I totally understand. Yeah. Well, apparently, uh, my girlfriend's get out of free card is Brian Cox. I, I think that's sexy, too, so I can't say anything. Yeah. And actually, this is the one that I, I thought was really interesting. More men than women would choose to have sex if they had an extra hour a day. Hmm. No, More it men than women? Yeah. Well, I, I think that's the general stereotype, is it not? I I would have thought that, that it would have been pretty even. Because I'll huh. tell you right now with my schedule, if I had an hour a day... And there'd be some... Yeah, but the stereotype is that guys always want sex and women don't. And I think that's one of the things that, that this survey disproves, right? But here's the thing. More women would rather catch up on their sleep. <laughs> and I... Yeah, I have to admit that there are times where I you know, well, you wonder about... want to, but the bed is so comfy. <laughs> yeah, but okay, but if... You wonder about the relationship or their lifestyle. Because if, if, if there's like, oh... If a good majority of the people are saying, oh, I'd much rather have an extra hour of sleep rather than sex, you yeah. have to wonder, okay. Uh, are you like me and work 70 hours a week? Right. Or are you really attracted to the, your partner? You know, kind of, you know, there's there's a, all kind of caveats within these statements that, that could uh, be a reason why they wouldn't. Now, if you say, if you had your ideal partner, would you prefer sex or get an hour of sleep? That would be different. So right. I guess it depends on this. Right. Question. And like I said, this is the one where I had a lot of issues with the actual 
survey as as it's presented on the the Yahoo article was that uh, to me I'm going you know what do you want to hear are your choices you're so hot hey baby baby I love you I it's kind of one of those things if if those are the three choices that you know oh what's going to turn me on obviously I love you is going to be a much better than hey baby baby let's get naked <laughs> <laughs> well okay what if you said okay Hey, baby, baby, let's get naked versus I love you. Exactly. <laughs> or how you phrase it. it could be, I love you. Yeah. You, you, you say it in a questioning tone that's not going to make someone want to sleep. Or while it. you're throwing up, I love you. <laughs> but there was also... Um, that I always guess. happens to me. I don't know why. You throw up when you say I love you? No, whenever I say I love to love you to somebody, they throw up. Ah, uh, yeah. But there was also the recent article from, <laughs> what was it, eHarmony? Or Match.com. Match.com. I'm always, for some reason, confusing the two. Where They, they took in um, political ideologies and everything else. And apparently, Democrats get it on more, but Republicans have better sex. Because they report a higher incidence of orgasm than Democrats do, but apparently Democrats get it on more often. I, th- I think it, I think that's really because the conservatives, despite all their talk, have freakier sex. Oh yeah. So I I am a firm believer in that. Self-reporting, I'll- I think. <laughs> <laughs> because don't forget, in in the survey, uh, men said that they went about uh, five to seven minutes longer, longer than in, than women than yeah. their counterparts. Yeah. But they did both talk about a quote-unquote lovemaking session lasting somewhere between 40 and 45. 39 and 45 minutes, so yeah. it was 42 minutes is, is the average. Which, which is good. 42 minutes? That's it, yeah, average. Awesome. Yes. Gary's <laughs> all like, I'm average! Yay! Well, no, it's 42. <laughs> it is yes. the answer to everything. Yeah. There was one point on the Yahoo survey that... I disagreed with. I took exception with, and it's not for the obvious reason. the The point that um, I saw was uh, talking about one of the best ways to kind of get in the mood and have sex. And oh, you know, the dinner and wine is dinner and wine. Now, it's not because I don't drink and wine doesn't turn me on. It's more the dinner part of it, but the wine as well because. Um, I, this recent Valentine's Day, Dan Savage talked a lot about that when you've, when you go out for a big dinner and you, you know, you, you have a pre-course and you have the main course and you have dessert and maybe you're drinking wine or whatever, you're stuffed. You are, you've, you're stuffed and you become comatose. Well, let's, let's, let's address this issue. Uh, if you're going to do dinner and expecting sex afterwards, you cannot do a large dinner. It Especially has to with be, like a lot of carbs. It's what <laughs> what you're doing, what you have to do is you a really want- small dinner. A, in the past, what I have done is a small dinner that still leaves, you know, you, you still maybe you're a satiated. hungry for something. Exactly. You're satiated. And then after, you can have a snack. Well, okay. okay. The, the way Dan Savage, the way Dan Savage put it was "fuck first. Huh. As huh. in, you know, you're doing the Valentine's Day thing. You know, you know, early in the afternoon, start to get amorous. 
enjoy yourself, take your time, take the hour that you want, mm. hour and a half. For the to, afternoon delight, so yeah. have dessert first is what he's saying. Yeah. Well, basically, do it, enjoy yourself, revel in it, and then when you've got that buzz of togetherness of you just had sex, then go out for the big romantic meal. So that's that's well, what I that's that's why I disagree with the idea of the best way to get turned on is to have a meal. Yeah. My other thing is is say you have like an Italian dinner, you got all those carbs, it just makes you want to go to sleep. The right. other side of it is, say you have a dinner of like a lot of cruciferous vegetables, that is going to be a very bad combination in an hour. Or Mexican food. Exactly. <laughs> Especially there are if you're going foods to foods that you don't want to have. This is right why you don't. Eat the entire fucking meal. <laughs> you eat a bit of the meal, and then you eat you the rest eat of it a later. Bit of the fucking meal, what, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's have, a fucking meal. So <laughs> what you don't have is beans and broccoli, and wash it down with a couple of crab. Cakes. Especially if you're going to attempt certain sexual methods. Okay, but it's I I, I agree that a, a romantic dinner, at least it's a it's also all about presentation and setup. I mean. Right. You can't sit there with with paper plates and uh, you know your your Zippo lighter and then I don't know Boone's Farm and then a, a pound a steak and potatoes. That's that's not really the. I mean, you know, it has to be like a small bit of that. You just can't. It's, come on, it's people. all about presentation. Use your brains. You, it's also about yeah, presentation. It's, that's right. It's, it's all exactly. presentation. You don't bring someone to Denny's at three in the morning and expect to get laid afterwards. Right, and you don't bring them to. Well, I mean, like a well, seven course meal can work because it's spread out over a long period of time. And if you go to a right to a really good restaurant, for example, that does that, all of the portions are small, so you end up not. First, it's overtime, so you're digesting, and you're not. Just cramming food. So you can't go to, I don't know, cheesecake the Cheesecake Factory. Factory. Thank you. Because that's going to be, oh, we Huge got portions, yeah. plus you're going to get the cheesecake. Right. Which is going to, which is very rich and good, but it weighs you down and you want to go home right. and go and to so sleep. And so by the time you get in the car and you drive home five to 30 minutes, you're going to be like, I need a nap. Which can be nice and romantic, and then the next morning, you have morning sex, which could be good. Morning sex is always good. Whether I'm Unless awake or not. I'm just saying that... Unless you have to pee. <laughs> that I think from... Sometimes okay, it's pretty good. <laughs> it is also a matter of if a man or a woman is going to that effort to make the dinner at home with the wine, with the candlelight and everything else, that's also a signal of I'm putting in that extra effort rather than taking you... Right. To, you know, Denny's because it's your birthday and I get a free meal. Or throwing right. a hot pocket in the microwave or something. It's like, here's dinner, yeah. let's you know, fuck. I mean, it's, <laughs> it is... Well, that would be primate sexy time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is presentation and showing that extra step. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, it doesn't have to be something like, you know, a seven-course meal with, you know, soup and salad and all of this. Just, hell, a nice carpet picnic... Some fruit, some cheese sort of thing goes with the wine quite well. I, I think a lot of the points that they were going through on this survey talk a lot about presentation and communication. There's the keeping up the sexy talk with text and phone calls and I miss you or telling someone you love them or 
making the effort to make the do the really above and beyond meal or saying you know hey let's do this you know fun thing where we have sex before we go out but we haven't showered so then we'll go to the cheesecake factory and we'll know that we had sex but nobody else will know make it a conspiracy make it fun make it a thing i don't know about that i I had a depends on what you want i I, I had a friend she uh had no sense of taste I mean, she, her tongue, she couldn't taste in her, in her mouth, and she, so, which affects your sense of smell as well. And so she couldn't smell that she had blowjob breath. And she had, um, uh, personal space issues. (laughs) That is a special case. (laughs) I, I would often offer her, um, Tic Tacs. Yeah, gum and stuff. Oh, no, no thanks. But I guess another one of the takeaways from these kind of surveys, is it shows that women are not, you know, this, these wilting flowers who never want to have sex and never women want Women are romance. not frigid and men are not sex-crazed idiots. Yeah. Well, we're not sex-crazed. Well, no. Nah. We're not idiots. No. Well. No, yeah. we're. That's correct. Both together. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, you know, all of this talk about sex and everything else Uh-oh. you know I, there was that guy on the news that we all heard about greg you got something about him pastor or something no not a pastor so speaking of primate sexy time up until the early 1970s homosexuality was in the what is it the diagnostic manual the field diagnostic manual of Psychiatric disorders. I love that's the field manual. Yeah. Like, like they're like psych- psychologists like are walking around with this manual. Like, looking in oh the my trees. god, that that I think we've seen the New York homosexual. <laughs> <laughs> and over there, over there, that is the New Jersey bipolar. <laughs> it's only seen on TV, and they're usually orange. <laughs> <laughs> so. That 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 brick of a tome, which has all the disorders and disturbances and all that that we that, know of, that humans are susceptible to, up until the early 1970s, a homosexuality was determined to be a sociopathic personality disturbance, and it was something that the psychology field especially Freudians and all that, felt that something needed to be treated and stopped. Mm-hmm. But in the 1970s, after, say, the Stonewall protests, and, uh, um, and also there were a whole bunch of protesters who would come to meetings of behavioral therapists who were either discussing disorders that people had or discussing the revisions to the diagnostic manual. Mm-hmm. And one of the um, young scientists who, uh, and psychologists who were would go to those meetings was Dr. Robert Spitzer. And he basically said, okay, well, if this is a mental disorder, then what exactly makes it a a disorder? Let's look at this scientifically and say, well, is this really still a disorder? He wanted to see scientific proof of of this. Yep, which is what he should have. Yeah, he talked a lot about comparing homosexuality to other disorders like depression, alcoholism, and said, okay... Are these similar, dissimilar in what ways? And then there are things like alcoholism and depression cause a marked distress or impairment, where homosexuality, except for the way they're treated in society, does not. So he he went on to um, 
study this and to argue with other people in the field about this should be taken out of the field manual as a disorder. And by the about 73, he won out. Now, some of the other people on the other side of that argument were people like Charles uh, Socrates. Saccharides. Socarides. Socarides. On the other side of the argument were people like Dr. Charles Socarides. <laughs> I can only do it with a, an Italian kind of hand gesture. <laughs> uh, he's, the, he's one of the people who founded the National Association for Research and Therapy of Homosexuality, NARTH. NARTH. Narth Vader. Yes, very much so. And that's kind of like this conservative group that's all about reparative therapy. Right. Well, you know, fast forward after, you know, the, the homosexual had been taken out of the diagnostic manual. Well, okay, Spitzer said, okay, well, people are coming to say t- to me to say that they have been cured of gayness. I have to be scientific and I have to study this. Which is a good thing. Unfortunately, he did a study of about 200 men and women where he interviewed them in depth, but he just interviewed them and asked them about their sexual urges, their feelings and behavior before and after they went to therapy. Wow, 200 whole people. Yes. So it was a tiny study. They were just interviewed, and he came to the conclusion from this tiny study of saying, and I quote, The majority of participants gave reports of change from a predominantly or exclusively homosexual orientation before the therapy to a predominantly or exclusively heterosexual orientation in the past year. So Hmm. within just a year of going through these therapies where you're indoctrinated with Bible and all that, people are saying, yes, I am less homosexual. Actually, they're oh, probably I'm... saying, yes, I am a homosexual. <laughs> yes. So Spitzer wrote this up, presented <laughs> a paper in 2001, and basically caused a bit of an uproar. And he eventually got it published, even though it wasn't peer-review published. Yeah. And what it was published in, they also published a whole bunch of commentaries. And everybody, to use the colloquial term, told, tore him a new asshole. Yeah. Because it was a small study... It was just based on what what they remembered. Yeah, their previous desires were. So yet, if you go through therapy, you're being told you you have these gay awful thoughts all the time. You need to stop having them. And right, but you, that but that publication fueled a whole bunch. Yes, that that started the whole uh, scare them straight. Not scare them straight. Um, Basically, yeah. scare them straight. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess it, it was. Yeah, but there were a lot of people worldwide who have held up the study as proof that reparative therapy works. Thus, homosexuality is something that is a choice that can be, you know, moved back and forth. It's not a. It's not an inborn trait. So, and that has led to a lot of problems. Yeah. So he's like the Mister Wakefield of. Um, yes. You notice I left off doctor. It was it was a very Wakefield esque situation where it was a crappy study, but for a good uh, you know this this study I think he put together yeah in the early two thousands, but it, it took him the better part of a decade to take heart to any of these mm. these um, criticisms, and eventually um, a man named Gabriel Arana, a journalist for the American Prospect, came and interviewed Mr. Spitzer, Doctor Spitzer about all the criticisms and the reparative therapy and all that. And 
it just so happened that this Gabriel Arana was a candidate for this 200-person study where his therapist recommended, oh, you should use this person as one of your subjects. He wasn't a subject, but this person, Mr. Arana, told Spitzer just how horribly he felt having gone through that therapy, being told that everybody, everything that he was was wrong. Mm-hmm. And eventually, finally, because mainly because of this personal in-person interview, kind of like you know someone next door who's gay, so you're starting to hate gays less, right. Spitzer finally said, you know what? I realize just how much an effect this study has have, had in. Long story short, too late. <laughs> long story less long. Yeah, it's, it's a long, it's a, you know, this is a 1970 through 2012 yeah, story. Yeah, we're going to cover the whole thing. I mean, yeah, it's only an hour finally, and a half Spitzer uh, wrote up a, a letter to uh, Ken Zucker, and it's going to be published in the Archives of Sexual Behavior, where the original article of the reparative therapy study was published, basically saying, I was wrong, the basic research question was kind of flawed and weak, and I see that there are problems with the study. It, It doesn't show whether any particular therapy actually works. It just shows that people believed it worked. Right. Yeah. So, so it's like a big placebo study. Like you were talking earlier about, with the coffee study, about looking at a study and saying, well, this is what the study, the narrowness of what the study really shows, I can't make any conclusions beyond that. Oh. Spitzer has finally come to the conclusion that he made way too many assumptions from the data he had, and is essentially making a letter of apology to the gay community, mm-hmm. and for all intents and purposes, retracting his paper. That's awesome. Which is great in that that's how science works. And and it's messy because we're humans. And obviously Spitzer had some pride in his work and wanted to believe that he had found something right. But when enough enough evidence was given to him, he changed his mind and said, you know what? I was wrong. Yeah, and that's the just, way science should be. Yeah. And, and it took time. Oftentimes it does. Yeah. Because people have – people scientists are human Yes. <laughs> so right on, and yeah, we'll we'll post a, a link to the NPR. There's a brief uh, interview with him, and then it's then it's with the journalist primarily. Right. Though. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's, it's all one big story, and yeah. and, and you know, with, with when you got when you got people like you know that reverend in North Carolina Ugh. who wants to fence off all the gays, and there's <laughs> that Mississippi pastor slash lawmaker who was beat him straight. Well, no, he was basically, he was responding to Obama's announcement about being pro-gay marriage, and he responded basically saying, well, in Romans 1, 26 to 28, and Leviticus 20, 13, it says, (laughs) gayness is a sin, it's it's bad. As he was in his polyester suit. Yeah. Right, as he was in his mixed fabric suit, eating (laughs) crops that were probably picked from the same plantation, same farm. Which, you know, yeah. kind of against mm-hmm. it. Um, and probably has a tattoo of a little heart on his ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to go that far, but yeah. I'm when you, just saying. When you get people like these, uh, people who are very anti-gay, they can use things like this study that mm-hmm. Spitzer did. Maybe a little less now. It's science. Yeah. Or it used to be. 
I choose to still believe the science. And and we could go into a larger discussion on, you know, how whether or not social issues like homosexuality and and social justice and, and other belongs under the umbrella of skepticism. But there's been a lot of blogging about that and how women are treated at conferences lately this week. So we'll leave it to them to discuss all that. Yeah. And we've discussed it in the past. And we'll yes. probably discuss it in the future. Yes, because I'm not going to... I don't think I'm going out on a limb too much here that we here at the Skeptic Wire are pro-gay marriage, pro-fairness, pro... We're feminists. Feminists, pro Does feminism and cover gay people? I don't think so. Yeah, feminism <laughs> doesn't really cover gay people. Well, there, there, there's is a that, lot of... Is that a, a bigoted statement? <laughs> There's a lot of alliances between these kind of groups because yeah. skeptical groups can be very pro LGBT. Oh yeah. And recently, the NAACP just came out. They voted to be pro gay marriage. That's impressive. Right. Especially because you have a lot of black pastors who are saying you no! better damn well not. Yeah. Because there's still a lot of anti gay um, Attitude Resentment. within the African American community, yeah. but this is a big step forward, and you get pro LGBT groups saying, "Yes, we're for social justice too." Just as much as we're for social justice for LGBT, we're social justice for African Americans, for people of Latino descent, for Eskimos, for you know women, for men, for ev- everybody being equal and the body. I guess I went on a bit of a rant there, didn't I? You did. Yeah. You went did. on a limb, which you shouldn't be on the limb because we've got a storm coming in. Is <laughs> it is? It's a lightning round! Lightning round! Donna, why don't you tell us about the lightning round? The lightning round is where we... We read a lot of articles and everything else, and we obviously can't talk about everything that we've read or that we're interested in. So we have devoted the last bit of our 20 minutes of our uh, podcast to talking about some of these articles in a short yet fun and interesting way. Each of us (laughs) has 90 seconds. We go through the round twice, and we will start with Greg. Well... We were uh, we talk every once in a while about the Bible on this show, and one of the things it says in the Bible is that you should turn the other cheek. It's I think it's one of Jesus' saying about, you know, if someone does something, hits you, then turn your cheek and, you know, give, offer them the other cheek because you shouldn't retaliate. Well, apparently a Roman Catholic priest in Dallas County uh, – didn't exactly hear that message. Uh, John M. Falia, or Fiala, um, was recently convicted of um, hiring a hitman to kill the man <laughs> who accused him of sexual abuse. The kid. Now a man. No, okay. uh, basically, he was accused by someone of sexual abuse, who is a man ah, now, I at gotcha. least. And uh, he tried to hire a, a neighbor's brother to kill the accuser. <laughs> uh, appar- oh, apparently uh, the person was abused in 2008 when the the victim was 16 years old. So the person's now 20, so an adult. And um, he just got convicted of trying to kill his accuser. So, um, yeah, not exactly getting all the the good lessons of the Bible, even though not all the lessons of the Bible are good. 
he didn't exactly get that one. Didn't quite make it through the whole thing. So, yeah. That's all, all right. I got. That's pretty horrendous. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm actually going to go next because I'm going to kind of follow on the opposite side of that. Recently, um, the president of Uruguay, a Mr. Uh, Jose Mujica, made a um, speech regarding the ailing health of Hugo Chavez, um, which translated says, I have still not been able to believe in God. If such an important man exists, I hope he gives a helping hand to the poor in Latin America by defending the health of their commander. So the president of Uruguay, which is a country that I have for about the past five years seriously considered actually retiring to, has come out as an open atheist. What's funny is, is that in South America, this is being treated. There's no news headlines. There's nothing going on. There's no press about it. It was common and everyday. That's weird. You usually think that's of South America being very Catholic. Well, you think of Mexico, and that's yeah. that's our view. Of well, no, well, also Brazil? like Brazil with yeah. their the oh Brazil, yeah, with the big true. statue and yeah, but they have their own uh, version that because they have Rio. Yep, they have uh, that big party. You mean Carnival? Yes. I just, I thought it was interesting that, you know, first off, an open president, a president of a country is coming out as an open atheist. Second of all, you know, that it was no big deal. And that's about it. And I'm done. I guess that leaves me then for this yes. round. No, I go again. This, <laughs> this one isn't really uh, a skeptical kind of, it, it sort of is. Um, so a guy... A stuntman jumped out of a helicopter at 2,400 feet uh, without a parachute Oops! and survived. And what was cool about this is he set it up to do it. He, he jumped out with a wingsuit and did all the calculations and landed in a whole bunch of cardboard boxes, 18,600 boxes. So it was actually, he had quite a long strip that he could land in. And he survived, no problems at all. I think it's just really cool. Uh, no broken bones, no nothing. No. So the wing suit, wing suit slowed him down enough that he could have a controlled landing and steer himself onto these boxes that yeah. would cushion it, his fall. It, it his his linear velocity was about uh, fifty miles per hour, but his falling speed, his vertical velocity was only 15 miles per hour. Wow. So well within survivability. Yeah. And then you, now the one, the one thing uh, about this is there's a, there's a video of it and you see him and he comes in and he hits, hits it face first with the helmet and the neck brace <laughs> and the whole thing. And I just think, you know, if 50 miles per hour, even to a cardboard box is, is pretty, pretty hard. hard, but he says, I'm so choked by the turnout. It was so comfortable and so soft. I got my calculations absolutely right. I think that is really cool because he did calculations. Yeah, it sounds and like it the out. kind of thing that they would do on Mythbusters to yeah. test if someone could survive or something exactly. like that. And, and uh, related to that, apparently this last weekend or very recently, someone went over Niagara Falls 
unprotected, just went over the falls in a suicide attempt and has survived. Yeah, I think well, it's one of only three people who's ever yeah, survived it's unprotected. It's basically, you have to avoid the rocks at the bottom. Well, yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a good technique. He, yeah, it's, he it's, it's severe damage, but he's alive. Okay, it's generally not the fall that actually kills you. It's that sudden stop yeah. against something hard. <laughs> exactly. Well, Greg, why don't you start us off on our next round? Yes, I will attempt to be quick on this one because it wasn't quick today. Um, one of the things skeptics talk about are conspiracy theories. And one of the mm-hmm. big conspiracy theories in the last couple of years has been the birther conspiracy theory <laughs> about Barack Obama not being born in the United States. He has a forged birth certificate, the whole thing. So I, I, there, I there was this infographic that got posted and then passed around on Facebook, and it has a picture of Mitt Romney, and it says, Born in Mexico! I will believe this until I see proof of U.S. citizenship. <laughs> this was enough to drive one of my associates on Facebook batshit crazy. <laughs> uh, throughout the entire day today, a, a an exchange of some good 68 comments, um, plus, you know, mostly between her and I went back and forth about this. Um, she posted a video that I hadn't heard about, about Michelle Obama saying something about Barack Obama is Kenyan. And his um, home in Kenya. Yeah. And, you know, I take that to be he's a descendant of Kenyans. He's and like the John Kennedy, I am a Berliner. It's like I'm Irish, even though I was born there. I was born in the United. Yeah, exactly. So um, just a lot of craziness, a lot of, um, you know, what obviously the birth certificates forged my my boyfriend is a big expert in Adobe Illustrator. So you can see all the layers um, and all that, and it's just no, that's that's so much bullshit right there. So my my time is up, but mulligan. I'll take a quick mulligan. That essentially, I gave her, I responded to her, I said, you know, I trust that the Hawaiian certification of this birth certificate. I have to trust that that this person is telling the the truth and is not one of big huge conspiracy. But there was no telling her. Everything was part of the conspiracy. Right. It's all classic. Um, what is it? Uh, logical fallacies were flying left and right. Complete and utter. Anything that proves my conspiracy is is proof. Anything else is proof of the conspiracy. Um, it was it was interesting, and was I knew I, I knew I was never going to convince her. And one of my friends basically IM'd me personally and said, "What the fuck are you doing? You're never going <laughs> to convince her. You know, walk away, just relax." And I was like, I- "I'm not pissed off about this. This is more an effort of myself to say." Can I have this argument? Can I hmm. can I refute this? Can I talk about this more to educate myself? And also for anybody else who's watching the feed to say, wow, this person's batshit crazy and Greg's not being wrong. In, so. in archaeology, we actually call it gnome poop crazy. Yeah. So. <laughs> gnome poop. So, yeah, I, I did have a someone is wrong on the internet discussion <laughs> argument today. But, you know, yeah, could be worse. Sometimes you have to have them. Sometimes you just got to say, you know what? Fuck you. I'm not going to take your birther or your anti-gay bullshit. I'm going to argue until you give up. Well, I'm actually going to switch it up, and I'm going to go back to Gary now. Aha! Uh-huh. Just because the article that I want to talk about, I know is going to call for a good rant. Okay. So right. I'm saving it for the end. All right. Well, this one is a slightly skeptical, although it's only a a two-person test. But basically, who was it? Toyota? General Motors. 
General Motors conducted a very small experiment with two people. They gave them the same car, and one person drove it badly, and one person drove it well. Kind of like a Mythbusters experiment. Exactly. Uh, the, the person who drove it badly uh, had underinflated tires. She also had junk in the trunk, although 240, <laughs> 240 pounds of stuff in, I in the trunk of the car. I don't even have that much junk in my trunk. Exactly. And um, would speed up and slow down and slam on the brakes and, and just really drive like Texan an angrily. Like yes. your typical Texan. Yeah. And the other angry. person would would uh, put the cruise control on, not go above 70 miles per hour, would slow and try and keep distance between the car in front of her, the whole thing. Gradually accelerate, accelerate gradually exactly. slow down. And they found that the person who was driving well was getting 37 miles per gallon and 575 miles per fill-up, and the, and the person driving badly was getting 21 miles per gallon and 325 miles per hmm. fill-up. And the cost difference was, was more than twice as much. Um, the, the cost difference was $1,236 between the two. So $100 a month. Wow. Uh, difference. That's a lot of money. And it's probably even more now. Well, one of the big reasons for the argument, you know, decades ago about going to the 55 mile an hour speed limit was around the gas crisis of the 1970s mm-hmm. to say, you know, if you drive slower under more control, you use less gas. So it doesn't surprise me. It's just right. well, people 60, need to be told often. At 65 miles per hour or 60 miles per hour, half of the gas consumed was overcoming air friction. <laughs> so, so the faster you go, the more friction you're going to have, and spending more just overcoming that. Actually, that really has nothing to do with this argument. I just thought it was an interesting fact. Okay, Donna, we like sounding <laughs> smart, don't we? It's well, so rare. <laughs> we we've frequently talked about um, military and some of the troubles that they've had with how shall we say overzealous um, religious people. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a former Navy chaplain, Gordon Klingenschmidt, and he's kind of made the rounds of the atheist and skeptical bloggers um, because several years ago he founded a lobbying group called uh, Prayer in, Pray in the Name of Jesus Project. I wonder um, what that's about. Well, here's the thing. He's actually a former Navy chaplain. He was removed, lost his commission basically because he was attending rallies in his full Navy uniform. The Navy said, you need to stop it. He wouldn't. They let him go. Everybody said it was nice knowing you. It's just not working out. You know, maybe we should see other people sort of thing. <laughs> exactly. He left. But he claims that what happened was is that it was basically a, a large conspiracy because he refused to give non-sectarian or he gave a lot of sectarian prayers. Don't give me that. I know that I'm going over. Okay. Just stop it right now. I just want Gary to be able to do the first ding when he has the opportunity. Okay, that's fine. He can ding, but um, he was actually just recently interviewed. <laughs> there you go. It's ding. I'm wrong time. Okay. He was recently interviewed on the Dave Packman show, where he made the statement that he says he believes that Jesus would restore full equality based on the way someone is born. Thank you. Mulligan. Mulligan. <laughs> He says the problem is nobody is born homosexual. He explained that it was all marketing. 
Um, <laughs> yes. Because everybody in marketing is gay. Right. Because the the LGBT community has an agenda, and the only way that they can repopulate their population is by recruiting children to be homosexuals. <laughs> and went on about how sense. it's you know you know anybody who's studied genetics knows that homosexuality is not an inherited trait. Because he blah, has. Blah, 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 it blah. sounds a lot like that North Carolina pastor. It just sounds very much because yeah. he was talking about fencing off an area, dropping the gays and lesbians into two separate areas, feeding them by airdrop, right. but fe- figuring that they would die off, and then because they died off, there'd be no more homosexuals. Yeah, because yeah, that doesn't no, yeah. understand it. <laughs> because no well, straight parents have ever had a gay kid. Right. Well, here's the thing: the 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 radio host basically hit him back with, how do you explain homosexuality in the animal kingdom? He says, what about the 4,000 other species that have homosexuality? As far as I know, they don't have a TV. They don't have (laughs) advertising. They don't have an iTunes store to recruit people. Advertising works remarkably badly How is it that humans are gay sometimes because of marketing, but the 4,000 other species, why is that something else? So he quotes this. He says, it is entirely possible, we know from the Bible, for example, that when Jesus cast out the devil, cast... The devil out of legion, he went into the herd of pigs. So it is possible for demons or the devil to inhabit or invade animals just the same way that they invade humans, and that causes the sin of lust. Let me tell you, those pig farmers were pissed off, too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it does show a remarkable ability to think yourself around logical problems. Oh, no, it gets better. The radio host says... So, what you're saying is, in humans, it's marketing that makes people gay, but in animals, it's the souls of gay humans that have invaded the animals, and that makes them gay? (laughs) So he goes, well, I think you've twisted what I said. And he goes, nope, I don't think I did. (laughs) Backpedaling, he was like... It's all related to the demonic and how the devil wants to recruit people into sin and once again right back to the agenda and everything. That's right. Demons are real. The whole, uh, what was it called? Seven seven mountains or and the quiverful and all that crap. Well, he said that Kleinschmidt then attacked the the radio host saying that he was being exactly. used by the devil to promote the homosexual agenda. And he goes, I don't promote homosexuality any more than I promote being tall. <laughs> it's just, this interview was so wonderful. It is so great. And Klingenschmidt is such a moron. I <laughs> well, just, it, this is the guy who has called for the prayers that basically strike down the president you know, so mm-hmm. the the, yeah. the perfectory prayers, all of this jazz, just a general asshat. It was yeah, is kind of I, I don't I'm not, I'm not very familiar with this radio interviewer. Is this person known for being liberal or secular or it's progressive? Progressive. Okay. Yeah, he's known as a progressive. So it's kind of like David Barton going into the lion's den and going on. Um, uh, no, not. David Barton. Yeah, the, David, David Barton went on Colbert. No, it was it was Stewart. the member of the um, Texas Board of Education McElroy. who went on Colbert. Colbert. Yeah, David Barton got kind of a cushy interview from, from yeah, Stewart. Yeah, he did. But the McElroy going on Colbert was kind of a holy shit. I didn't think you were going to actually ask me questions. And, <laughs> and, I thought you were on my side. Yeah, and shoot my things back at you. I, it's it's funny how well. 
not entirely funny. It's it's interesting how a lot of these people just expect because they are a religious leader that someone is just going to take what they say but for there, face value. Yeah, there's. I, I think that a lot of religious people, well, almost any leader, is isn't used to being questioned. Yeah, you know, right. And, and that's what I loved about this interview is because. It was so deadpan and it was so serious and he just called him out on it of how do you explain homosexuality animals? And he just let Klingen Schmidt just dig the grave and he just kept tanning in bigger shovels. I mean, sure. really, that's all it was. Those are the best I loved interviews. it. I just... Yay, I, I Paxman. Have, okay. Right. I have been reading about Klingen Schmidt for five years now. Yeah. Man drives me insane. So it's yeah. just nice to see. Revenge. Yes, I'll shut up now. <laughs> I got it. When he started doing the the the, the finger on the wrist thing, the time Wait thing. Wait a minute, I was not doing that. Just because I want, I, we have no more time to talk about what I wanted to talk about at the end of the podcast. But that's okay. That's fine. What do you want to talk about? Well, okay. <laughs> it's a philosophy problem. If a we don't have time for that. If a member... <laughs> If a member of the species, the silence, looks away from a member of the weeping angel species, does the angel move closer or do they forget the silence and not do anything? For those of you who are confused, this is, has to do with the uh, latest series of Doctor Who. Which we're but all Whovians. <laughs> we don't have time to talk about this, so we'll never, ever know. Yeah, because this is our last podcast ever. The answer is <laughs> the egg. The egg came first. Mm-hmm. I have no answer. Neither do I. Not yet. I'll have to think about it. Yeah. And and we just come up with new topics every week, so a lot of these topics just kind of go by the wayside. Yes, they just disappear into the Ethernet. Kind of like the silence. Yep. And on that note... <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, we hope to see you guys next week. And yeah. have a good Memorial Day weekend if you know it's a any... Memorial Day? Yeah. Yeah, it's Memorial Day weekend. Because you don't have a nine-to-five nine job. You don't love those Mondays you get off on <laughs> these long weekends. But No. I, I don't have a day off for like eight months now. Yeah. <laughs> but, exactly. you know, Memorial Day, thank a soldier, you know, go thank an atheist soldier, especially one in a foxhole and... Uh, and uh, um, have some barbecue. I'd rather them actually got out of the foxhole before I went to go and thank them. Because usually foxhole means there's, like, people shooting. So. Maybe it's a foxy hole? Like, out of the 70s or something? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that, that wasn't just a little creepy. Because <laughs> building a foxy hole in the middle of a gunfight is a great thing. That disco ball doesn't give you away at all. <laughs> <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. Stay alive, stay alive. I'm waiting for him to break out in the Spice Girls. I don't know any Spice Girls songs. Um, I'll Greg? tell you what I want, what I really, really want. I'll tell you what I want, what I really, what I want. What you tell you, me what you, you want, what, what you really you, want. What I want you to stop fucking shooting at me. Yes. Something like that. <laughs> I think that's how it goes. That's just dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, thanks for joining us. Uncomfortable <laughs> silence. <laughs> And we'll um, talk with everybody next week. Next Wednesday. Woohoo! Yeah. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Bye bye. <laughs>
The Skeptic Wire podcast theme music is by Oscar Lawn with guest mandolin by Greg Perrine. If you've enjoyed listening to The Skeptic Wire, leave a review on iTunes or leave us a voice message via the Podposted app for iPhone. Friend us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at The Skeptic Wire. Follow our blog at skepticwire.blogspot.com or send us an email, skepticwire at gmail.com. You've been listening to The Skeptic Wire. The way Dan Savage pointed it, put it, it was... Put it fu- it. <laughs> the way Dan Savage. I know. So he was playing golf? A lot of people kind of making this an issue at um, <laughs> at meetings of behavioral therapists where they discussed. Were you in a hypnotic trance then? <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of it. I was hoping that you would see the long blank and cut it out, but oh, well. no, you had to screw it up. <laughs> well, I did that on purpose. I was hoping to make you laugh. <laughs> Where the fuck was I? Um, I... You're at. (laughs) (laughs) And also there were a whole bunch of protesters who would come to meetings of behavioral therapists.